So much as we began last night's talk, I'd like to begin this evening by suggesting and encouraging you to keep the breath in mind, to keep the breath. I like to think of the breath as like a hand line that you're going along sometimes over smooth terrain, sometimes over rugged, and you just kind of keep your hand on it. Sometimes you might have to pull on it a little more, hang on a little tighter, but you just keep your hand there. Just like you would going up and down a set of stairs, keeping your hand on the banister. And a lot of times it's just there, and then sometimes you have to stop and steady yourself. Just like that. So here at the beginning of the talk, allow yourself to sense the breath, establish, reestablish it if, if it faded for a moment. And I'll begin with a poem. And the poem I'm reading is from an adaptation um, from the Terigata, which is the Terigata, which is the poems from the uh, Pali Canon, from the time of the Buddha, of the enlightened nuns. The nuns, as they woke up and came to um, their awakening, there are many poems recorded, which is quite remarkable that we have this record of these awake women and some of their stories we know and um, they're very inspiring. So this is a particular adapt, uh, translation, adaptation done by Maddie Weingast. So this one, the first poem and a poem I'd like to read to you is by the poem done, nope, yeah, Dantika, and her name means the elephant. So, maybe that's not a good name, but maybe it is. This is her poem. While walking along the river, after a long day meditating on Vulture Peak, I watched an elephant splashing its way out of the water and up the bank. Hello, my friend. A man waiting there said, scratching the elephant behind its ear. Did you have a good bath? The elephant stretched out its leg. The man climbed up, and the two rode off like that, together. Seeing what had once been so wild, now a friend and companion to this good man, I took a seat under the nearest tree, and once again reached out a gentle hand to my own mind. Truly, I thought, this is why I came to the woods. Do you sometimes feel like you're trying to tame a wild elephant? It is like that sometimes. And yet this is a wonderful thing to do. Because as we tame the wild elephant of our mind, as it becomes our friend, we have the possibility of connecting more and more deeply and more fully with our deepest intentions. It's 
nice to keep that in mind. Sometimes when you go, what am I doing? Why the breath again? You know, it's like this is a path to being able to stay connected with our deepest intentions of kindness and generosity and clear seeing and awakening. And not just here, but in our lives. This samadhi that we're cultivating allows for us to have a lot more clarity and choice in everything that comes. We're not so scattered. We're not busy. The elephant isn't busy tearing down trees or doing things that um, we later regret. So this evening I want to talk about different factors that both block and support this collecting of the mind. And the two lists that I'll be sharing with you, one of them is very familiar with you, both as a list and probably more personally as well, which is the hindrances. And the other one is the jhanic factors. So that one may or may not be a new list for you. But we've been, we've been hinting at it already, so you'll have familiarity as we go. So first of all, to acknowledge in talking about the hindrances, all of you have heard other talks on hindrances. You have some familiarity with, with them. And um, you've hopefully been had the recognition during these first couple days of noticing when the hindrance com- hindrances come up. Because of course they do. And this awareness of them when they arise is our doorway. Because it's when we're unaware of them that they steal us away. And hindrances is an interesting word. And I've always had a little bit of an objection to it because... They can, they're challenging energies, yes, but they can also, in our Vipassana practice, they're often a doorway, and a doorway to understanding, to seeing what's here in a new way, to developing capacity to work with them, with greed and aversion, with restlessness, doubt, as, as they arise in meditation and in our lives. They often have a... Uh, a lot to them. But the word hindrance is is more applicable in relation to samadhi because it's true that they do hinder the collecting of the mind. That when we're uh, being blown around by the hindrances, though it may be interesting and we may learn a lot, it is harder for the mind to settle and calm down. So part of what we're doing in this collecting is learning to work with the hindrances in a slightly different way than we do in the Vipassana practice. I I was very um, taken with a story from Venerable Analio that he told some time ago is that he, he he's, he's a very um, prolific scholar as well as a very devout devout practitioner. 
And somebody said, you know, how do you possibly get all this done? You know, you're cranking out scholarly papers faster than the rest of us could possibly read them. And um, he said, I pay attention to the hindrances. He said, before I do any work, before I do anything, I check and see if there's any hindrances present. And I address what's present first. And then I turn my attention to collecting my mind and focusing on what I'm doing. I thought that was really interesting. How often are we trying to do something, but really we're kind of over here having an aversion attack and trying to get something done in spite of that. So this is sometimes the case in this simple practice, simple but not easy practice, of watching our breath. That we may have those very clear overt hindrances come in. But we also may find that we're trying to do it, but there's something going on over on the side. And it can be very helpful to at least recognize that that that's there. And then instead of in the Vipassana, and to acknowledge that if it's super strong, you may need to turn to your Vipassana skills, of turning to the hindrance and feeling and working with it directly. You know, you're, if, the, if that thing is churning up and you're really not able to collect, you need to pay attention to it. But a lot of the time, our approach in the samadhi practice is simply to see if we can withdraw attention from the hindrance. Allow ourselves to come back to the breath but doing it without an attitude of rejection or pushing away, acknowledge that's there. And to then see if it's possible to release it, to come back to the breath. And you can keep checking, yeah, it's still there. So you're not ignoring it. You're not pretending it's not there. But you're not feeding it. You're not exploring it, which is sometimes what we do with Vipassana. So coming back. And another way to do it, if it's larger, if you can't come back to the breath, is to include it. Like to literally breathe it in. Breathe with it. Like just breathe in the aversion and breathe it out so that you don't let go of your hand line. So keeping the hand line while acknowledging it's there. There's uh, four R's that, um, that can be helpful in working with it. It's the hindrances. Recognize. Relax. Right. I don't need to be in a fight. No need to battle this. Recognize, use that skill that we have of mindfulness to be aware. Recognize, relax, and then release it. What we're doing in the releasing is letting go as best we can, a sense of renunciation that those things, I don't need to solve this now. I don't need to 
fix this problem or have this conversation or settle this debt right now. And then return, reconnect with the breath. And then as I was saying, accept our, accept the situation if we're totally caught and if we need to turn and work directly. One of the subtler hindrance, ways that the hindrances can show up in our samadhi practice is with a kind of attitude with which we're doing the practice. I remember um, it was many years ago at the Forest Refuge, I was doing a samadhi practice. I was doing it using metta. So I was, it was a little bit different than this, but same idea. And um, there was the, the, the one comfortable place for me in the whole place was there was a couch at the edge of the dining room. And the dining room was kind of busy in the kitchen. You could hear off to the side. So I would go and sit on the couch like at, starting at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I'd get all this quiet and I'd be on the couch. And then like at 5, 4, 5, I don't know when, somebody would start banging around pots in the kitchen. And I would very calmly, I'm sure, get furious, you know, and I'd just be like, ugh, and, um, you know, and then I just keep doing my meta, keep doing my meta, yeah, I'm doing my meta, and uh, somebody pointed out to me, hmm, I'm not sure that's meta, and I was like, oh, right. And I was so busy trying and striving that I was completely trying to avoid this aversion that was clearly there and needed to be acknowledged. One way we can sense if there's an attitude, uh, uh, either the aversion or that lust of wanting to get somewhere, get this to go where we want it to go is another one. But noticing when we, if we get a little lost, when we return to the breath, right in that place where we return to the breath, just sensing what your attitude is in that moment. What's your attitude there? Are you like just, oh, I'm happy to be back to the breath. Oh, that's nice. That's a great thing to experience. That tells you that the there's a simplicity. Yep, I'm just back. If you notice there's a, some other tug going on, then notice that and see if you can attune and release a little bit more that, um, that clench on your attitude once again. So... These may be hindering us, but fortunately there's other things that are happening as we're watching the breath. We're cultivating what are called the jhanic factors. And these are wholesome qualities that help support our movement into samadhi. So there's five of them. And the first two are the most important. And they're vitaka, vichara. 
And just in case you're um, interested, they're, they're spelled vitaka vichara. It's just the Pali spe- the Pali word. The V is is the W. So vitaka vichara. And these are what you've been doing. So vitaka is the turning of the attention and making contact with an object. Every time you bring your attention and feel the inhale, that's vitaka. And we do this many times. Ah, Contact, making contact with the inhale. Uh, again, making contact with the exhale. And this is the basis of our practice. Again and again, turning the attention. And then it has this um, complementary factor, the vichara. And this is sustaining the attention. Sometimes it's talked about as applied or directed and then sustaining. And sustaining is those moments where you come in, and Philip was demonstrating it to us last night, that when the one hand actually not just contacts, but then rests there and stays. You know, like... If you hear the bell, one way that sometimes it's described is if you, the contact with the bell, and then there's the sound continuing. And you might hear first the initial contact, but then if you stay with the sound, you're continuing. So you might notice with the breath, there's the initial contact, maybe at the beginning of the inhale. And then can you feel that, uh, the texture, the sense of then when you stay with the inhale all the way till the end of it. That's an experience of vichara. And we have to keep putting in these little movements of vitaka, and then the vichara. It's an uh, analogy I like is like a bird, a big bird soaring up high, flapping its wings and soaring. You can imagine yourself with a little flap, and then there's that soar as you just stay connected. And then you might do a, another little flap, and you soar some more. And like a bird, there's some effort there, but no more than is necessary. We'd think a bird was pretty weird if it started like flapping all the time when it could just float. So it's this balancing of the two, flapping just enough, resting the hand, allowing the contact, but not pushing, not Remember that from last night? Pushing. One step at a time. One flap and then connect. I'm going to read you another poem from the 
from the, this translation. And this is from Upasama, calm. How do you cross the flood? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a time, or not at all. One moment, a step. As Philip said, coming back one more time, then you go away. One more stone, and then making full contact. You know, another sense of like when you're crossing the flood, if you're crossing a stream, maybe everybody at some point has crossed a stream that's maybe a little bit deep, and that one step, and then steadying yourself, and then the next step. Adjusting to the stones as you go, feeling your way. And one important piece along this is that as we do this, we're learning a lot. You know, it's not just some end result. Have you noticed that? How much that's this retreat, we're really cultivating a wisdom around how to connect and how to sustain. This is probably the most important thing that you hopefully, and you can't help but, learn more about on this retreat. Having this sustained effort towards connecting and and sustaining, you will learn, huh, how does this work? What does it feel like? When do I need to flap my wings again? When, you know, because sometimes after a while we might be having a real sense of soaring along. Gosh, breath in, breath out, just going along. I wonder what's for dinner. You know, and somehow it was you were just coasting in such a nice way that you missed the moment that the next effort needed to be put in. Has that happened to anybody yet? <laughs> so we're learning about how to put in this this appropriate amount of effort for the conditions that are here. This is the art of meditation. Another uh, analogy to give you, um, funny because uh, Philip made a comment about mountain climbers. Okay, I'm, I, I've spent a lot of time climbing. I recently took it up again after a, after a gap. And it's very, it's very interesting in this respect. You reach up when you're climbing and you feel the rock. And one of the things you're doing is sensing how can you get your hand to fit the rock? How can the two come together in a way that matches, that requires the least amount of effort to hold on? And then once you find that spot, then you might be pulling up, sustaining the contact holding it just enough to pull up. And then the next hand, finding the next spot, 
and adjusting to meet it. This is like our practice. The, the next moment, contact, adjust, let the mind flow into and contact it, and then keep going. So Vitaka, while it brings the attention back, Vichara creates this intimacy, this real connection. Vichara is also what moves us, you might recall Philip last night mentioning, from par- it's what moves us from partial to complete staying, or moving from intermittent to continuous. It's this quality of vichara, this intimacy and continuity. Not clinging to it, but staying in contact. So there's considered three wise vitakas, three wise things to put your attention on. And this is kind of interesting because moving your attention itself, attention is neutral. You could put your attention and you could even put your sustained attention on something that's not skillful. But here we're putting it on something that's skillful. And there's considered three wise vitakas, renunciation, friendliness, and compassion. So renunciation is this letting go of distraction, of hindrances, And this is particularly noticeable when it doesn't happen. There's a phrase you may have heard if you've been around for a while, yogi mind. Yogi mind is when we take our vitaka vichara quality of mind and we get attached to something that isn't particularly wholesome. Like we start getting completely obsessed about whether the shade is up or down or that we have to write somebody, a manager, a note, and tell them exactly the problem that we're sure needs to be fixed. What we've done there is we've taken this collected mind and turned it towards not renunciation, but towards wanting or aversion or something else there. So... The Vitaka Vichara needs this to be paired with this quality of renunciation. And here's the, if it's paired with something, with the uh, hindrances, here's the felt sense that helps lean towards, helps encourage the renunciation. So this is the hindrances. Sensual desire is like a debt. Ill will is like a disease. This is from the Buddha. Sloth and torpor like imprisonment. Restlessness and worry like slavery. And doubt like being lost on a desert road. Release from the hindrances is to be seen as freedom from debt to good health, release from prison, emancipation from slavery, and arriving at a place of safety. So this is the quality of renunciation, letting go of these seductive but ultimately unrewarding the the desire for sensual desire, the, the belief that we have that if something else was fixed, 
life would be better. So the letting go, the simplifying of the mind, the friendliness, the Witaka which are paired with friendliness. I really like Mary Oliver is such a beautiful uh, poet because of this quality she has. She's, she says, there's nothing in the world, if I pay attention long enough, doesn't cease to foster wonder and love. And if there is, I haven't found it yet. So she's pointing to this, if we really pay attention. You may have noticed at times when you're really connected with the breath, that it's quite satisfying. Sometimes we even fall in love with the breath. breath. So allowing yourself to attend in this open, inviting way. I'll read you part of a poem that you may recognize from her that just sort of points to it. It's called The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention. I do know how to pay attention. This is what we're cultivating. Paying attention. Interestingly, these qualities, Vitaka, Vichara, and the other jhanic factors, are antidotes direct for the hindrances. And think about it, it makes sense. Vitaka is an antidote for sloth and torpor. When we connect, when we really connect with what's happening, have you ever had that happen? You're about, even, you're about to fall asleep and all of a sudden you get interested in what's happening. Where am I sleepy? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm not so sleepy anymore. Or you're starting to drift off and you find something, something that interests you, that is curious, and you make full contact with it. It, Because making contact brings energy. It brings interest, it brightens the mind. And it also points to how when we do the standard Vipassana, you know, when we can still use our standard responses if we're, sl- we're sleepy. And sometimes concentration, especially, it can get unbalanced, especially at the beginning. And sometimes if we start getting into that, uh, the coasting bird, that it, we may find that we get kind of a dullness. And then what we need to do is perk it up 
and get back to that full contactfulness. And it's great to help it out. Open your eyes. Stand up. I noticed people were standing up. That's wonderful. It's a great way to bring a little energy. So you can do it, bring the energy, and then make contact. That gives you the opening to make contact with your breath. Sometimes it helps to move the attention, find a different place to pay attention to the breath, just in case that might be more interesting to you. Or see if you can catch the very beginning moment of the inhale. Or notice exactly when it ends. Because what you're doing there is amplifying that contact. And that can bring energy to the system. Vichara is the antidote for doubt. And again, you, can, you probably can feel this, that if you have continuous attention, even if it's just for one full inhale and exhale, there's not room to doubt. Doubt is a mental process, a thinking about. And if you're fully with the breath, there's no room. The continuous, complete, sustained attention drops away the mental proliferation of the self-critic, the discouragement, the what am I doing here, you know, all the different uh, internal conversations we can have about doubt. And also, because with the continuity in Vichara, we feel engaged that there's not the, that doubt has a real pulling back quality in us. And that engagement allows it to release. So I hope what you're hearing in this is that if you know the sleepiness or that you hear, feel doubt, this putting a little more attention into the Vitaka Vichara, into connecting with your breath and sustaining it will have a direct impact on that. It gives you an experience of the continuity which builds confidence and faith and allows you to continue. That confidence to continue. This is a poem from Donna Dina. She who has given herself to the Dharma is her name. For so long I thought only of the river's end. Then one morning I sat my paddle, sat my paddle down to watch the sunrise over the eastern hills, only to find myself floating somehow gently upstream. I promise. It was not what I had expected. So we're paddling along and then we have this continuity and there's some ease that comes in. And this brings in a sense of delight. 
a, a floating of some, floating in a general sort of way. And this joy and delight has a, is the next of the jhanic factors, piti. It's often translated directly as rapture, but it has a lot of different um, permutations. And it's a emergent quality from the collectedness of the mind. It's a resultant from this process. And you hear that, like in Mary Oliver's poem, that there's this attention, and then from that comes this delight. And it's not dependent on a particular sense pleasure or a particular thing. It's dependent on our attentiveness, on the dropping away of the doubt, the dropping away of the sloth and torpor, connecting with it, with whatever we're paying attention to, in this case, the breath. So this rapture or rapt attention, this we're filled with the present moment experience. And it can, it's a very, um, it's mostly a body experience. It can be quite delightful and blissful. It might be sort of effervescent or lightness or energy. It, very individual expressions. Um, sometimes it can get really strong to where it's actually uncomfortable or unpleasant. I remember the first time I experienced this, I had no idea. I was just doing my practice, paint, watching my breath, and nobody had told me. And I just got, I was just in this world of swirling colors and all this movement in my body. And I spent, I think I spent a week there. And nobody thought to tell me that Uh, you've lost the object, you're getting a little sidetracked, come back to the breath. I had to learn that later. But so I'm here to tell you, if you have swirling colors, set the swirling colors aside and just come back to the breath. It's funny because what I've noticed and I've heard other people report as well, there, there can sometimes in this rapture quality or in this energetic quality have an about to feeling like something is about to happen if i just pay attention in just the right way something's gonna happen sorry i'm here to tell you there's not really anything about to happen this is just a sort of a kind of excitement and energy in your body And there's nothing wrong with it. It indicates the development of samadhi. But it's more important when this arises that you stay with the breath. Come back to the breath. Don't let this pull you off. It's also sometimes if it's jagged or uncomfortable, sometimes that happens. I have the experience of the jaggedness because if you've been really striving and hanging on to the breath with sort of like, I'm going to do this, then sometimes then that's reflected. You've got the samadhi, but there's this underlying 
eh, grind in there. And it shows up as almost like as an agitation in the body. So that's an extra encouragement to be sure that you're relaxing along the way so that as you get more collected, it's coming from, it, you're coming into that gently. A relaxed, rapt attention. It can also be very nourishing. It can feel like, oh, I'm here. At this point, the vitaka becomes less necessary because the energy will tend to carry you. You'll just be interested. And that's very wholesome. You can use the breath, if it gets agitating, as a calming. Allow yourself to really feel the out-breath. Let yourself feel what's positive, but not get overwhelmed. So this quality of PT, as you can imagine, isn't the antidote for ill will, for aversion. Because it's pleasant. There's, what is there to be upset about? What is there to push away? This is nice. Unless it gets really jagged, that's different. But, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I like this. And so in that way, it's an antidote. And in, it's, I've mentioned this is an emergent quality from the jhanic factors of Vitaka Vichara, the continuity. But we can set ourselves up and orient in that direction by t- paying attention to the pleasant in our breath. Letting ourselves, dropping that tendency to look for what's wrong that negativity bias we have, and instead paying attention to what feels nice in the breath, where the sense of flow might be, or where there might be a sense of nourishment in the breath. And this helps encourage this quality. We can't make it happen, but we can recognize it when it's here and allow ourselves to feel it. So after we've, generally when we've connected with this quality of PT, this energy is here, we're moving. And if we stay with the breath, if we don't get caught up in the, um, in the swirling colors as a shorthand, um, the next factor that comes in and may come in some with the PT, is the quality of sukha. And this is a wonderful, I love this word, sukha. It's got, it's got some sugar in it, sukra. And, um, and it's the opposite of dukkha. It's sukha. And it's ease and contentment, a quality of deep relaxation, the mind at peace, collected, resting, There's a lot of tranquility and calm in this. So the sukha uh, balances the the energy of the piti. When the the sukha comes in, it drops. Sukha is the antidote for restlessness, a quality of contentment, 
I admit to being a little bit of a sukha walla. I like sukha. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's nice to, because it's deeply, it can be very deeply nourishing for us, for our bodies, for our minds. And it builds confidence in the practice because there's a sense that nothing else, it's the sort of, it's, you've released that restlessness. There's a sense that nothing else needs to happen. It's all good. You've probably, this quality is not foreign to you. I'm sure you've had this at times in your practice. You can recognize, oh, there's a contentment and ease here, a kind of settling back. Oh, enough. And it's not dependent, it's not enough because, you know, the, it's a, nice day or the temperature in the hall is just the one you wanted or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a contained internal mental fullness. And again, although this is a, a uh, an emergent quality that you can't do the way you can do Vitaka Vichara, you can, as I was saying, pay attention to the pleasant. Acknowledge it when, when there's an element of contentment, allow yourself to feel that. One of the things that can happen when you're watching the breath is sometimes there can arise some boredom. Maybe, maybe you're not bored yet, but you might for a moment somewhere get bored. And boredom is really interesting because it's just a hair's, a hair's width away from contentment. It's not much is happening, but I'm a little aversive to the fact not much is happening. So if you can just make the shift, you know, to letting the, uh, you know, the, the 12-year-old in you that wants something more exciting. 12-year-olds love to be bored, right? Something else wants to, they want something else to happen. If you can drop that and go, oh, thank God, for once, you know, nothing is happening. I don't have to do anything. Nothing is happening. Nobody needs me. There's nothing else expected. And there's that shift from boredom into contentment and ease. You can sometimes also, if there is some restlessness, like if the PT energy has gotten sort of strong or you notice, you could try inviting it. Sometimes we may drop in these just very gentle little resolves. You might say, may there be calm. May calm arise in my heart, in my mind. And just see what happens. As we get more concentrated, we tend to be responsive to such suggestions. We become very suggestible. So you can see how that is. Again, uh, the attitude of relaxation encourages this. Sometimes we can move in this direction by paying attention to the stillness that is here in the breath. 
perhaps the stillness that is in the gap between the exhale and then the next inhale. Or perhaps the breath itself gets very quiet and has just a sort of like a stillness in the flow of it. Tuning into that. And that may invite some element of calm into your practice. So these qualities of happiness, of the rapture, I want to read you a quote. This is from the Buddha talking about this process moving. He says, for one who is glad at heart, there is no need for an act of will. It is natural for, for, for one glad at heart that joy arises in, in that one. For one who has deep inner joy, there is no need for an act of will. It is natural for one of joyful mind that their body will be tranquil. For one of tranquil body, there is no need for an act of will. It is natural for one who is tranquil, tranquil that they will feel happiness. For one who is happy, there is no need for an act of will. It is natural for one who is happy that their mind will be concentrated. For one who is concentrated, there is no need for an act of will. May I know and see reality as it is? Not necessary. It is natural for a concentrated mind to know and see reality as it is. So as the mind becomes happy and self-contented, the concentration comes naturally. And the fifth jhanic factor is ekagata, which is one-pointedness, collected, a unified mind. Very still, very steady, present here. Nothing needs to be different. There's no forward, going forward, no going back. You may have noticed these moments where there's just right there. There's not even you watching the breath. It's just breath. There's almost a timelessness in in those moments where the fifth and all these qualities are present. And this quality of ekagata, this complete collectedness, is the antidote to desire. There's no interest in anything else. No going out, finding something. Complete stillness and settledness. We're secluded from the desire. Complete connection with the moment. Sort of the the opposite of desire is complete satisfaction. Without anything in particular satisfying us, it's like the absence of the need to be satisfied. 
all of these, these, these third and fourth jhanic factors in particular are very compelling. So I just need to name that it's natural that sometimes we have the experience of them and then we want them back, you know, and then we get a little caught in that wanting. And I, like I said, they don't come because we want them. They come because we've paid attention to the breath because we've stayed fully in the moment, connecting and sustaining. And when these factors are present, you can hear that the hindrances drop away. That's one of the very wonderful and nourishing aspects of this cultivation of samadhi. It doesn't, unfortunately, uproot the hindrances. It's not like they're going to go away after you have collect all these factors and have this experience and never arise again. They're going to come back up and you can watch them sometimes. And they can be a little bit... Um, hmm, a little rattling when the concentration when we've had a lot of concentration and then it drops a little bit because you know how it is with practice it goes up and down then it drops what we might notice is then all this concentration goes towards one hindrance it's like oh my god this is like the worst hindrance attack I've ever had well that's because you have now a concentrated mind completely focused on the hindrance so sort of Get your ground back around you. Come back to the breath. Just have faith. Come back to the breath. And realize, oh, yeah, my mind's very concentrated. It's got this ability to run after anything. So come back. Take it easy. And let yourself begin again. And watch if the, well, the hindrance that arises is the wanting of the state you previously had. That um, let's put it this way. When that happens, learn from it. <laughs> so that the next time you're not as caught by it. So it always is a matter of coming back to the Vitaka Vichara, the gentle persistence, and realizing that that's very simple act of connecting and sustaining is your doorway to all of the factors coming together and the hindrances falling away. And this is exactly what you've been doing. Exactly what you've been doing. So I'm going to end by reading a a couple of uh, quotes. This is one that Buddha, that Sally read, a quote from the Buddha about being asked about how crossed the flood a couple nights ago. I crossed over the flood without pushing forward, without staying in place. But how, dear sir, did you cross over the flood without pushing forward, without staying in place? When I pushed forward, I was whirled about, 
Is this making more sense to you? That grip. When I stayed in place, I sank. And so I crossed over the flood without pushing forward, without staying in place. And because it's nice to have the last word from a woman, I'll reread you Upasama's answer to that question, to that little koan. How do you cross the flood? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a time, or not at all. So let's take a moment to let the words settle. You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. You cross calmly, one step at a time. Thank you for your kind attention and hearing the Dhamma this evening. Enjoy your walking period and we'll come back for the last sit.